0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Third Down Gamble, the CFL betting podcast. I'm your host, Kyle McMahon, ready for another thrilling week of CFL football. Glad to have you along for the ride. Apologies if I sound a little scratchy here. I seem to be fighting a bit of a cold. But that's okay, I don't expect it to impact my handicapping abilities this week, for better or worse. We've got four games to review and four more to preview this week. But first, you can follow me on Twitter at kdrive88, that's K-D-R-I-V-E-8-8, and check out firstlinepicks.com for the complete show archive, in addition to other gambling content, including weekly NCAA football picks, which I'm pleased to report have been slightly profitable thus far. Any questions and feedback you have is always encouraged, and I look forward to hearing from you guys. But let's get down to business as far as our beloved CFL is concerned, and we had a couple of pretty wild finishes this past week, Uh, one that hopefully made you some money, and another that unfortunately cost the vast majority of us some of our weekend beer money. The first game I'm referring to is the Hamilton Tiger-Cats strolling into Commonwealth Stadium, quickly building a 24-0 lead on the Eskimos, watching that lead slowly vanish before a late drive to set up a game-winning field goal enabled them to walk off with the 30-27 victory. So how did they manage that? Well, the first thing they did was take advantage of an Edmonton team that, despite having two weeks off, looked completely unprepared on the defensive side of the ball, and gave up three consecutive touchdown passes of more than 40 yards, and by consecutive, I literally mean three snaps, three touchdowns, and the route certainly appeared to be on in the first quarter. But some credit to the Eskimos' defense here. They they did rally to hold their opponent to just three field goals in the final three quarters of the ballgame, and after the 76-yard bomb that made it 21-0, they only gave up one more play of 20 yards the rest of the way. Though unfortunately for them, that one play did set up the game-winning field goal. On the other side of the ball, Edmonton struggled mightily under Logan Kilgore, getting his first start of the season, grading just 37% successful on all qualifying plays, which is a significant step down from the 52% seasonal average they'd enjoyed under Trevor Harris. Neither the run game nor the pass game were particularly effective, and Kilgore tossed three picks as well. So how did they find themselves tied at 27 in the final minute of the ball game? Yeah, from my vantage point, some negative plays from the Hamilton offense and a fair bit of luck are the answer to that question. Again, ball protection continues to be the elephant in the room with Dane Evans, who otherwise had another strong outing guiding the Tiger Cats offense. It'll another pick that took points off the board, plus a fumble on his own half of the field that set up an Eskimos touchdown. Add that to a missed field goal from Liram Hirelahu that gets run back 100 yards, which only set up a field goal for Edmonton after the Ticat defense made a stand in the red zone, but still swung six points and created some momentum for the home side, and and, all that combined to give us an exciting finish to what looked like it was going to be a blowout early on. I've been to nearly steals one, but broader picture here, at least for me, is that they came out completely flat and disorganized coming off a bye week in a game they absolutely had to win to keep any realistic hope alive of improving on their fourth place position in the standings. They'll try to move forward against Ottawa this Saturday, but the, the door appears to be closing on what was once a very promising season. I'm sure Coach Steinauer isn't exactly delighted with with almost letting another game in Alberta get away from his team, but a a win is a win, and I don't think the Ticats are going to complain over getting the split in Alberta as they prepare to finish off their Western road trip in Winnipeg on Friday night. The other game last Friday night, uh, this one between Calgary and Toronto, proved to be a bit of a dud, and depending on what number you got, the Stampeders did hold on for either a win or a push. As this game closed at 7 points after 6.5 was available for most of the week and it did indeed go on to land right on 7 so if you got the best number you did get rewarded after a bit of a late sweat. In reality though this game never had the feel of one that was all that close and, and I never had the sense that Calgary was in any real danger here. I'd almost call this a game where the Stampeders knew what they had to do to come out of there with a win and and they weren't all that interested in in showing anything more than they needed to. Kadeem Carey left this game with a broken arm that will spell the end of his 2019 season and and the run game was by and large a non-factor for Calgary as as his Levi Mitchell simply moved this offense through the air one methodical 12-yard pass at a time. It was rather telling to me, and this just shows the lack of respect that opponents have for Toronto's pass defense, that after Toronto managed to whittle this lead down to seven points with just under two minutes remaining, the, the Stampeders still came out passing on their final quat-killing possession, and it was basically just pitch-and-catch between Bo Levi and Eric Rogers, who Toronto never had an answer for the entire night. Argo's coach, Corey Chamberlain, is a guy who I've seen as somebody who is likely coaching for his job at this point. I don't think he helped his cause any with, with a couple more questionable strategic decisions. Kicking a field goal from the two-yard line is, is something that seldom makes sense, and it, it certainly doesn't make any sense when you're down 17 points in the, the second quarter of a, of a football game. And then he turns around a few minutes later and decides to gamble on, on a third and five at midfield with just over a minute left in the half that Calgary promptly converts into three points after the failed gamble. And you're right back to trailing by three scores anyway. Not a coach that seems to be helping his cause here as, as we prepare to come down the home stretch of another lost season in Toronto So the Stamps take care of business, they move to 9-4, and and they're now tied for first place in the West as they now take their final bye week of the season. And the reason they are now tied for first is because the Winnipeg Blue Bombers managed to emulate the Hamilton Tiger Cats in gassing a 24-point lead. But unlike the Cats, uh, they they fail to survive that, and they shuffle out of Montreal with a stunning 38-37 defeat to their name. (laughs) Boy oh boy. We've seen it all in this league over the years, but I'm not quite sure we've ever seen that, at least not recently. We know no lead is ever safe, but a, a 9-3 and football team blowing a, a 20-point lead with less than a quarter to play might have, have broke some new ground here in, in terms of improbable comebacks. Obviously, I was quite bullish on, on the Bombers minus the 2.5, as were a lot of us, and and really, even with a minute remaining in this football game, after Montreal pulled within six points, you still had to like your chances of that cashing. But alas, a, a reeling Winnipeg defense folded one more time, uh, allowing Vernon Adams to march the Owls uh, 100 yards in about a minute with a, a touchdown strike to Jake Winicky just before time expired and, and the ensuing extra point capping off a, a 21-point Alouette's fourth quarter. This one was not without controversy, as the Owls quarterback was lucky to avoid an ejection in the fourth quarter after an interception in the, the impending chaos uh, resulted in Vernon Adams swinging Adam Big Hill's helmet at said player after, after it popped off in a, in a scrum, an, an act which ultimately has resulted in a one-game suspension for Adams, which I'll, I'll of course talk more about later in the program. Tough to really wrap your head around this one. This game unfolded exactly how we expected it to for about 55 minutes. The Bombers run game was was not something the Alouettes were able to contain at all in the first half of the game, and even though they got things sorted out later on, the damage appeared to have been done at that point, with Andrew Harris and Chris Strevler both having big afternoons, uh, six explosive runs, and including a 38-yard touchdown scamper from the QB I guess it's valid to some extent to criticize an offense that failed to score a point in the final 24 minutes of the football game, but you go out and score 30 and get a touchdown from your defense as well, that, that should be enough to win a football game. Justin Medlock, normally reliable, missed an extra point that obviously turned out to be huge. Andy banged a long field goal attempt off the post, but ultimately you've, you've got to turn your head the way of the defense, specifically the secondary, when, when looking for somebody to blame for this debacle. Montreal had no semblance of a running game on Saturday, uh, you know, a real off day for William Stanback, and, and here's a crazy stat for you. 77% of second down snaps for the Owls. The, the distance to gain was eight or more yards, which is, that's enormous. Uh, You know, 50% is a a good outing from the the defense in that regard. Uh, So Montreal just buried themselves on first down, grading less than 40% successful overall, and and yet this Bombers defense couldn't get themselves off the field on second down. Season high, 9 explosive pass plays conceded by that secondary, along with 11 more chunk plays through the air, and, and most of that happened in the fourth quarter. The Alouettes receivers made some spectacular catches, and Adams once again just made a couple of ridiculous throws under pressure, but the secondary crapped their pants. Plain and simple, Jeff Hecht came up with a pick that I think we all probably thought snuffed out any, any remaining hopes the Owls had with, with around six minutes left, but other than that, these guys just could not make a play in the fourth quarter of this game. Montreal did have one rather large stroke of luck with Winicky again making a circus catch as the unintended receiver on a, a tipped ball that prevented a third and 10 from deep in their own territory on the final possession but other than that this comeback wasn't the product of anything particularly unusual no big returns on special teams no turnovers you know not even any short fields really that that Montreal capitalized on this Winnipeg defense has been so solid for the most part this year, but when things go wrong, man do they ever. And a franchise that's been around for nearly a century can now claim to have suffered their two largest blowin' leads in franchise history in the span of eight games. Winnipeg, of course, coughing up a 20 to nothing lead in Toronto less than two months ago. Last game of the week, not quite as dramatic as the B.C. Lions pummel the floundering Red Blacks for the second straight week, 40-7 to the, the final in this one. Not a lot of interesting ground to cover here. Ottawa continues to perform at a historically bad level on offense. Another 36% efficiency rating in this one, which is par for the course for them over the last few weeks, uh, with their defense again gashed for 10 explosives as the Lions beat them up along the ground and get Daron Carter to throw a 50-yard touchdown pass on on a gadget play just for good measure. That one touchdown pass of Carter's uh, now being more than any Ottawa quarterback has thrown in the last 11 and a half quarters. The only drama in this one came down to the total, which landed on 47, just barely staying under the 48-point line, and and frankly, we were pretty lucky to cash this one. Both teams left some points on the board in the fourth quarter, including the Lions who graciously took a knee at the Ottawa five-yard line with 30 seconds remaining to preserve the under. But after uh, the the turn of events in Montreal three hours previous, that's that's a lucky break that I will gladly take and not feel sheepish in doing so. Alrighty, on to this week's games. Kicking things off on Friday night with Hamilton paying a visit to Winnipeg. Blue Bombers, fresh off their collapse for the ages, are nonetheless minus four and a half favourites here with the total hanging out at 48. Two teams in interesting spots here. The Tiger Cats are playing their third straight on the road, third straight out west. Though they did spend the week at home practicing as opposed to pulling an Argonauts and going on a three-week tour of the, the western half of the country. So potential for a, a little bit of road weariness here. Maybe why we've seen this line stay north of a field goal since the open. And Winnipeg, well, you know the spot they're in, trying to rebound from a devastating collapse. Tough one to move on from, Uh, Mike O'Shea even going as far as to concede that he himself was still having trouble digesting what happened on Saturday. It's not exactly the most reassuring thing in the world to hear from the head coach midweek and you can't help but wonder if if prep for this week could be hurt in some small way if, if this group is still looking backward to what just happened as opposed to forward at the team coming to town this week. There's a lot at stake right now for for this Bombers, uh, the entire organization, really. Uh, Several years of good teams, some some very good teams, in fact, uh, but but teams that haven't been quite able to get over the hump. And understandably, a, a fan base that hasn't tasted a Grey Cup win in nearly 30 years is starting to get a little restless. This is supposed to be the year for Winnipeg. With the mass exodus of talented personnel in Calgary and Chris Jones leaving the Riders just when he seemed to really be building something there, the two biggest obstacles for Winnipeg out west took significant hits. But here we, we sit in late September now and a, a Bombers squad that started the season 5-0 and is one loss away from potentially finding themselves in third place in their division. And essentially they, they have two ridiculous collapses in the span of less than two months to blame for that. You know, and on top of it, you, you had that Labor Day game where Saskatchewan just walked down the field in the final minute of the game and calmly dealt them a loss on the last play as well. The Bombers do still have a pair of games against Calgary and, and one against the Riders in the final month of the season, uh, games that are, are obviously going to decide their fate. But with the way things unfolded last Saturday, this has turned into a must-win game, at, at least in terms of the psychology surrounding the team. Even if from a, a pure standings slash mathematics perspective it's it's not yet do or die type of scenario but not a spot you want to find yourself in with a lot of question marks now surrounding this defense they've been pretty healthy in recent weeks and they will be getting jackson jeff coat back this week which gives the defensive line two formidable bookends as he will of course team with willie jefferson who had a very quiet outing against the owls on saturday Ty Cats are also getting some new personnel into the mix. Sounds like both Malik Irons, who's who's been out injured for several weeks, and and Tyrell Sutton, uh, who was signed to the practice roster a couple weeks back, are, are going to be in the lineup on on Friday night. Though they're both running backs, uh, obviously. If nothing else, uh, this is going to give Hamilton, you know, two legitimate options after weeks of using a combination of Braylon Addison, uh, Anthony Coombs, who's more of an H back than a true running back, and the the rookie Jackson Bennett back there. I'm curious to see what Sutton can provide. He split last season between BC and Montreal, bounced around a little bit this year without seeing any game action. Uh, I'm not going to say this is like a, a final opportunity for for him to you know, reestablish himself as a, a starting running back, but the sense of urgency should be there, and he's got a good offensive line blocking in front of him. So between him and Irons, we we maybe see more of a traditional setup here. But Hamilton's been fairly successful running Addison and Brandon Banks uh, on occasion as well on on those jet sweeps and whatnot. So I, I don't think that suddenly gets shelved either. So you can see a fair bit of running in this game from Hamilton. Dane Evans has definitely made some strides since we we first saw him take over starting quarterback duties against this Winnipeg team back in in July when Masoli went down. And if the Bombers aren't able to get pressure, Banks and Addison are going to pick up right where where Montreal's receiving core left off. They're going to be finding the holes, and and Evans is going to be finding them. It's not a coincidence that the Bombers suddenly got torched for 38 points on an afternoon where an opposing offensive line managed to keep Willie Jefferson wrapped up and you would certainly rate the Tiger Cats offensive line higher than Montreal's so if, if if they're able to study the film and emulate some of the things the Owls did in in the second half to neutralize the pass rush this offense should be in good shape Evans doesn't have the speed that Vernon Adams brings to the table obviously but Adams didn't really hurt Winnipeg with his his legs per se and and I would give a healthy share of of the credit to the the big boys in front of him for giving him the time he needed to operate effectively in the fourth quarter last game. Again, I've I've said this for weeks now, if this Hamilton offense can ever get around to cleaning up the turnovers, there's probably not a team in the league I would favor against them on a neutral field. That really is the one complaint you'd have regarding a 10-3 football team, but turnovers are are one of the few major aspects of of football that contribute significantly to the outcome. Generally speaking, if, if you finish a game with a turnover margin of plus two or better, you, you're going to win most of the time. Hamilton's four and one in their last five games in spite of a minus six turnover margin uh, with regards to interceptions and fumbles. Uh, it might change a little with some third down gambles from, uh, from opponents late, late in games that, that might have failed, but uh, traditionally speaking, they're, they're minus six in the turnover ratio. Uh, so that speaks to the level that that they're performing at uh, in in you know every other area really to to be able to overcome that stat with with four wins in five games and and if they're able to operate at an even or, or a positive turnover margin going forward they're going to be a very difficult team to beat. This number opened minus four, we saw minus five pop up briefly, at which point there was some pushback on the Hamilton side and four and a half seems to be where where this is going to settle in. I like Hamilton here, and honestly, uh, while the Bombers imploding before our eyes last week is certainly front of mind, this isn't a fate of Winnipeg. This is a show of confidence in a, a Ticats team that, that has, in my opinion, more than earned the benefit of the doubt with their own play. The Cats have lost only three games this year. It, twice on what was essentially the final drive of the game, uh, games that they led in the fourth quarter on the road against strong teams. This is a very good football team that's finding ways to win when they make mistakes, as opposed to a Winnipeg team that's that's found ways to lose in those same situations. First meeting between these teams fits that mold. Masoli gets injured early, Hamilton does very little on offense, and nonetheless wins after Winnipeg muffs two punts and throws a pick-six. I think one key factor as well is is that Winnipeg just does not play well when they fall behind in football games, and and they're still showing that long-running tendency of, of being unable to bail themselves out when they start taking on water. Hamilton has started well these last two games on the road. They couldn't quite finish in Calgary, but they hung on in Edmonton, and, and there's every reason to believe Orlando Steinauer is, is going to have them ready to roll again in this one, and, and I'm just not confident that Winnipeg has the counter ability to come back and cover more than a field goal if, if they give up the first major of the game. Having a look at the total, I would lean towards the over on the 48 here. Weather-wise, it's looking like a cool night in Manitoba, but probably no rain, and the wind isn't expected to be significant either. Earlier in the season, we definitely saw good defenses shutting down good offenses. This script has swung the other way the last few weeks. You've got two offenses running pretty hot here, and the Bombers defense isn't playing at a level we, we saw earlier in the year. Hamilton's defense is probably the main concern from an over-better's perspective. They've been consistently strong throughout, but Winnipeg has managed to produce points against pretty much everyone, and I think both teams here are a pretty safe bet to be, be over 20 points apiece, which certainly lends itself to a play on, on the over with a sub-50 total. With Winnipeg and Hamilton meeting on Friday night and the Stampeders on a bye week, we're left with some less appealing matchups on another triple-header Saturday, but getting things started will be the Eskimos and the Red Blocks in Ottawa. A, a game which sees the visitors ride in on a four-game losing streak while the Red Blocks losing streak has reached six games. Edmonton is favored by a full touchdown here, with your over-under set at 47.5 and holding. As crazy as it sounds, Ottawa still has the opportunity to you know, at least put some pressure on Edmonton if, if they can manage to come up with a win and close to within four points of the Eskimos, who currently occupy the crossover playoff spot. Realistically, though, these, these guys are toast, and the, the fact that they plan on going with a, a Davis-Jennings, a, who knows, possibly even Will Arndt quarterback-by-committee approach clearly signals that they're into the evaluation and look-ahead-to-next-season mode. Is Edmonton bad enough right now that they could possibly lose this football game? My gut says no, but it's worth pointing out that the last team that didn't run the Red Blacks right off the field was in fact this same Eskimos team who barely escaped with a 16-12 to win back at home in the middle of August, and that was with Trevor Harris at quarterback. Harris's status remains up in the air right now, with, with coach Jason Moss stating that they might not know for sure who's starting at quarterback until kickoff arrives, but the The vibe seems to be that it's going to be Logan Kilgore again, and I would proceed under that assumption right now. Kilgore came up well short of impressing anyone last week against Hamilton, but when a backup comes in, the first start is often not exactly sterling, and, and he was facing a strong defense on the other side. I don't expect a whole lot of new wrinkles from the Eskimos' offense. They haven't shown any new wrinkles really at any point this season. They'll uh, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll give Kilgore, uh, you know, another go at at a lot of the same things they they were trying uh, uh, last Friday. But, you know, but we watched a, a well below average BC Lions offense hang 69 points on this Ottawa defense. So I would say Edmonton probably doesn't need to come up with anything special to move the ball at a a decent clip here. Uh, The Greg Ellingson, Ricky Collins, Devaris Daniels receiving trio hasn't shown themselves to be particularly effective against the upper echelon teams in the CFL. But they've eaten up the also-rans, which really just mirrors the team as a whole. The Eskimos have been criticized rightfully for their inability to beat anyone decent this season, but the flip side of that coin is they've gone out and made hay against weaker opponents. C.J. Gable had his strongest game of the year against this defense, and after having a tough time dealing with the Tiger Cats defensive line, The Eskimos O-line in their their second game now with Tommy Draheem back at left tackle and and Matt O'Donnell shifted back to his more familiar guard position should be poised for a bounce back game against an Ottawa defensive front that accomplished very little against BC's restructured O-line. I don't love this Eskimo offense uh, by any means, but they're in a position where 20 points should win the football game and, and might even be enough to cover a touchdown. As I said earlier, this Ottawa offense is operating at a historically awful level right now. I think I went over the seasonal stats that speak to the ineptitude during last week's show. Uh, So now you can go ahead and add another touchdown free outing from the offense to those numbers. At some point, you've got to be weary of random variance rearing its head and Ottawa managing to either hit on a few big plays or, or simply bumble their way to some accidental points. But the Edmonton defense, for as big of a face plant as they did early on against Hamilton, they did rally with three good quarters of football. And, and while they're not playing at a level they showed back in the summer, you've got to think they should still be more than a match for this offense in its present condition. To go back to last week again, the Lions' defensive line has has not been very effective this season, but nonetheless, they were in Jonathan Jennings' face uh, frequently on Saturday. We saw highly touted newcomer Matthew Betts create a turnover for the Edmonton D-line in his very first game. In the... Uh, Let's call it an increased sense of urgency for the personnel on this this D-line with bets arriving along with Steph and Charles uh, should have them playing with plenty of motivation. The Eskimos have have not been a very profitable uh, bet this season and frequently coming up short of market expectations. And Even against a team as bad as Ottawa is right now, minus 7 is by no means a slam dunk but this is definitely a situation where it's either lay the points and take edmonton or, or don't bet every team has a price but plus seven is, is not nearly enough for me to consider backing the red-blacks right now uh, that, that's a team that might not be playable the rest of the way unless we start seeing some pretty large numbers on the board my feeling on the total here is somewhat similar. It, it's under, it's no play. You can't take an over in a game involving an offense that it probably only has a coin flips chance of finding the end zone. Generally, when I'm trying to project the outcomes of these games, the the starting point in, in terms of points scored for each team is 14. This is a league where even, even really lousy teams can typically be counted on to stumble their way to at least one touchdown and, and maybe a couple of field goals. Ottawa hasn't even been able to do that, averaging just 11 points per game during this, this six-game losing skid. As I mentioned, random variance is presumably going to show up at some point between now and the end of the season, and, and they're going to crack 20 again. Uh, but you're certainly not going to bet on it happening in, in any specific instance Next game we'll look at is probably the only one with anything significant at stake as the Saskatchewan Roughriders will look to keep pace in the Western Division playoff race for home field advantage. Standing in their way will be an Argonauts team that's probably playing for pride at this point. The Riders opened minus 5 and we've seen that number bet up to a full minus 7 in most spots. Total has also seen some under action, pushing it down below 50 after opening just a shade above. Saskatchewan comes in off a bye week and Cody Fajardo will return to Toronto to face the organization who previously employed him in a backup role. Getting the nod for Toronto will be James Franklin who took over for a struggling McLeod Bethel-Thompson last week against Calgary and incidentally this will be Franklin's first start since he was injured back in the second game of the season against this same Riders team. This is an understandable move from Corey Chamberlain uh, though I don't necessarily think it gives them the the best chance to win. they need to find out once and for all if, if Franklin's going to be worth bringing back into the fold next year. Hope was that he'd be able to slide into Ricky Ray's role as the starter after the latter suffered a career-ending injury last season, and, and it just has not worked out as as both parties envisioned, with with Franklin generally struggling and losing his job to McLeod uh, Bethel-Thompson uh, in, in back-to-back seasons. I mean, is, is Bethel-Thompson part of the long-term plan here? I, I somewhat doubt it, but... I'd say he's the more known commodity at this exact moment. There's a lot to like about him. He's he's showing several flashes of, of greatness over the last season and a half. And, he, I mean, you can't argue with the some of the yardage that this guy's able to rack up through the air. But I'd say we're probably looking at a player who can hang around the CFL if if he so chooses as a potential injury replacement or, or stopgap starter type of guy, but probably doesn't have a, a long-term future as the full-time starter, at least on a team hoping to be successful this is sort of the way I felt about Franklin by the end of last season, and, and right now I'm I'm not even sure if he's shown enough to confidently say he's at that level, so th- this really is a key stretch for him if, if he's going to get his career back on track. He should get plenty of opportunity, at least in terms of the play calling, with Toronto continuing to be allergic to running the football. But about the only success this offense has found this season has been their ability to connect on on enough deeper throws to keep pace offensively with their opponents, or or at least attempt to. And with Franklin relieving Bethel Thompson, we, we saw a shift to a lot more small ball in the second half against the Stampeders last week. I wouldn't call Franklin a runner, but plays that take advantage of his greater mobility along the line of scrimmage are definitely more conducive to overall success than than trying to air it out deep constantly, as he just doesn't possess the deep strike ability that Bethel Thompson does, even if only intermittently. The problem with this is teams have keyed in on the fact that Toronto just doesn't run the ball. And if you don't need to concern yourself with the run and you're not too worried about getting beat deep, options in the short passing game tend to get closed off very quickly. I'm not high on this offense under Franklin, to be blunt, and with with two weeks for the Riders staff to study up and prepare, I'm not expecting a ton of points out of the Argos here. The talent exists on that side of the ball to show a lot better than what we've seen, but it's doubtful to me that, that we suddenly uh, see that bubble to the surface against the same defense that Toronto only scored seven points against the, the first time they played. And expecting Jacques Chaptelain and Corey Chamberlain to be the architects of, of a late turnaround isn't isn't something I'm going to hold my breath on either. Zach Caleros, uh, yeah, I remember him. He's been practicing this week, and it's believed that he might be healthy enough to come off the six-game injured list next week. That adds another dynamic to the quarterback situation, but at this late stage and with him having not played all season essentially, the Argos are probably drawing dead here. I just can't see Caleros having a significant impact this year, but eh, probably something we'll look at more uh, when the time comes. To shift the focus over to the Riders here, this is a tough team to fully get a read on. I think they were somewhat fortunate to survive the Alouettes at home last time we saw them two weeks ago, and before that the Bombers were beating them up in the Banjo Bowl. The bye might have come at a good time for this defense to hit the reset button. Micah Johnston and Charleston Hughes have both been dealing with injuries. johnson has been back for a couple of games now. Hughes was back at practice this week. No confirmation on, on whether or not he's going to be in the lineup yet. Obviously, that's a player who can be a real difference maker on defense, so watch for an official announcement on that front. Some more injury news here. Offensive lineman Brendan Labat has been activated. He will play Saturday. This will be his first action of the season. The Riders have suffered a number of injuries on their offensive line this year, but for the most part, guys have stepped up when called upon, to the point that I'm not actually sure Labat is an outright Im- improvement over whomever he replaces, Dakota Shepley probably, uh, but it gives them another capable body to add to the rotation, and you can't underestimate the value of a high-functioning offensive line uh, that has good depth, especially heading into November. Receiver Jordan Williams-Lambert is gonna sit this one out. Uh, Riders are taking an extra week to get him refamiliarized with the offense before inserting him. Uh, you know, he was a cut from the Chicago Bears uh, that they brought back. I would suspect Manny Arsenault is probably gonna be the guy that comes out when uh, Williams-Lambert gets inserted. By the sounds of it, he probably could have played this week, and and while they'd never admit it, the the fact that they're playing the Argonauts. Uh, Probably played a a role in in Craig Dickinson's decision to give him an extra week to really get proper. Offensively, I don't see the Riders having problems here. Calgary continued the trend of of teams grading close to 60% successful against this Toronto defense. And they did it without any contribution really from the run game. The Riders made a point of getting back to the run game against Montreal, uh, and if they're able to get a decent evening out of William Powell, it, it should only make Cody Fajardo's life that much easier with plenty of weapons at his disposal. Riders are probably going to run the run their fair share of screens and swing plays out of the backfield, so we'll see if Bear Woods can continue his inspired play for the Argos from the linebacker position, maybe snuff out some of that stuff He's looked really good in two games so far, and and that's been a big boon to a defense that's suffered badly in the, the middle of the field this year. But I think above all else, the thing that would have me the most confident from a rider's perspective is the knowledge that Fajardo is going to be taking deep shots against a secondary that continues to look a step behind out there and give up huge chunks of yardage uh, You know, as a matter of routine. The Riders have done a very good job, I think, of of knowing when to go deep, having success doing so, uh, but not overdoing it and relying on it. Deep strike ability, definitely something you you want if you're backing a team giving up a full touchdown or more. While I'm not sure this number gets any higher, I don't see it moving back off a touchdown. Minus 5, I think the Riders were a pretty easy play. Move out to 7, that's something maybe you don't go racing to the window over, but I still think that's the right play if you're going to make one. There's going to be some sentiment, I'm sure, that yeah, Cal- Calgary only beat the Argos by seven, so potentially there's some market reluctance to back what I, I think most observers would say is a, a slightly inferior Saskatchewan team at the same number. But among those who actually watched last week's game, I, I think there'd be agreement that Calgary had it on cruise control for most of the evening, and the final score probably flattered Toronto. I don't think that's going to be the case for Saskatchewan coming off a bye and with bodies starting to get healthy. You've got players fighting to keep their place in the lineup and I fully expect a strong effort out of the visitors here. I think going over on the total would have been a no-brainer if Bethel Thompson was going to be back a quarterback for the Argos, but Franklin's going to operate that offense in a much different manner uh, you know, if last week's play calling is any indication. And We'll almost certainly see a lot less gunslinging out there, which is going to suppress scoring for both teams in all likelihood. I'd have a tough time pulling the trigger on an under with Toronto's defense on the field, though, so this is one I'll probably be sitting out. Last but not least, the week will conclude with the high-flying but now Vernon Adams-less Alouettes making the truck out to the West Coast to take on a BC team who can finally claim to be playing decent football, even if it was only against the Red Blacks. The betting line itself for this game is going to be the main talking point. There's a very odd situation unfolded on on Monday. Uh, typically, if there's any doubt surrounding a team's quarterback situation, the books won't release a line. We've seen this throughout this season without exception. This this is something that happens in CFL, NFL, and college. Uh, it's standard procedure. If there's any doubt as to the starting quarterback, you're just not going to see an early line. So when we saw the Owls open and listed it at 25 There was every reason to believe the line was set with the belief that Vernon Adams was going to be available. There was some rumblings about a possible suspension hearing over the helmet swinging incident, but I don't think many people really believed Adams was actually going to get suspended. And as best I can tell, there there was no public announcement from any official source until Monday night when the league did indeed declare that Adams was going to be sitting this one out. Obviously, the first thing that goes through your mind when that happens is that there must have been some insider knowledge that leaked out and somebody somewhere knew this was how things were going to unfold, but after some time to reflect and consider input from fellow bettors, I I have to conclude that in all likelihood, surprising as it sounds, the opening line that had the Lions favored by 2.5 points was indeed released under the assumption that it it would be business as usual, uh, player personnel-wise, and This has basically been corroborated by the number now ballooning out to six and a half after Adams uh, was suspended. In regards to that initial number, this was a worse line we've seen all season by a significant margin. This is a game where where I had Montreal projected around minus five and a half, minus six before the suspension news broke. Even allowing for a reasonable margin of disagreement between my own projection and market expectation minus six versus plus two and a half that's an enormous difference almost to the point of disbelief when i first saw it generally speaking if your own projection differs from the line being offered by more than a couple of points or you're on the other side of the key number of three you've you've potentially got some value available to you so to see a difference of a full touchdown that's a situation where you're getting excited and betting accordingly So the news breaking that Adams was suspended was obviously a kick in the pants to everyone who was quick on the draw to back the Alouettes, uh, but is what it is at this point. Uh, The interesting thing is, uh, while it absolutely kills me to miss out on the extra four points that are now available to people looking to still back Montreal with Matthew Schultz at quarterback, uh, I still don't hate the Owls at plus two and a half, even without Adams. Uh, Don't get me wrong, Adams is... Probably the front runner for league MVP at this point, and with good reason. But I think the market is really selling the rest of that Owl's team short, and in, in making them now almost touchdown underdogs against a bad Lions team. BC's stopped the bleeding. They've they've made the necessary adjustments to look competent out on the field. But uh, in my opinion, a, a lot of stock is being put into a couple of wins over a brutal Ottawa team. I don't mind where this Leo's defense is at, and I've been saying for weeks that this unit is trending upwards, but the market now trusting that offense to possibly cover a full touchdown now is very curious. If we hearken back three weeks ago to the meeting between these two teams in Montreal, we remember that BC ran the ball with reasonable effectiveness, and they they probably limited Adams as much as anyone has been able to all year. But they still lost that football game because their offense just couldn't create enough when they had the chance. We know Montreal's had their issues against the run, and that's the main reason we liked the Bombers last week, and indeed they ran shot over them in the first half of the game. But Montreal stepping up and stopping the run in the second half shouldn't go completely unnoticed. John White has been pretty productive for BC when he's actually been healthy and getting handed the ball in recent weeks, but he's not Andrew Harris, nor is Mike Riley anywhere close to the runner that Chris Strevler is at this point in his career. And I'm not anticipating a situation where, where BC is able to control this game along the ground. They're going to need to have some success through the air to win. Uh, news came out today that defensive back uh, for Montreal, Sionte Evans, is out indefinitely with a broken hand, I believe it is. Uh, so that, that's a noteworthy loss in the, in the secondary there that should help BC's cause. But I just don't see the impending disaster awaiting the Owls that seems to be hinted at with, with where this line has moved to. What do we know about Matthew Schiltz? Not a ton. He's had some limited looks this year and and last year, but he'll have William Stanback at his disposal, uh, looking to rebound from a forgettable performance last week. Don't forget, Stanback was still hurt the first time these two teams played, and the Owls still touched the Lions for four explosive runs in that game. BC hasn't defended the run well at all this season, and, and shutting down Moses Madu and Ottawa these last two games, to me, that's not an indication that they've necessarily turned the corner in that regard. This will be much a uh, much more revealing situation. And you look at the plays Devere Posey, Chris Matthews, Gino Lewis, and Jake Winicky were making last week. This is a very deep and capable group of receivers. So yeah, Adams is a huge loss, obviously, but I don't think the players you know he has around him are getting nearly the credit they deserve for their part in montreal's success not to mention the job that o-line did on saturday as well a group that's taken big strides forward compared to where they were at three months ago kahari jones is also exactly the guy i'd want running my offense with an unproven quarterback back there Very level-headed approach, doesn't panic when he's behind in a game, and for the most part, he he doesn't abandon his game plan after one quarter if if the offense had to punt the ball away a couple of times. Things also generally go better for Montreal the more snaps they've played against a team. That's a pattern I've noticed, uh, and that's that's a sign of a a coaching staff that's good at making in-game and game-to-game adjustments. Montreal's come up huge in the fourth quarter of a ton of ball games this year, and and they've generally played substantially better against teams the second time they've played them. So we'll see if that trend holds true once again. One thought I've had uh, going going through my mind the last couple days is uh, what kind of intensity and, and effort does Montreal show up with here? Travel across the country, 10 p.m. kickoff time on their body clocks. You know, Adams is out, and in reality, this this game doesn't mean very much in the standings. The Owls are pretty much locked into second place in the East. This, you know, this could be a classic, uh, you know, mail-it-in type of spot if, if there was ever going to be one, but I just can't help but think that the, they come out with a chip on their shoulder here, eager to show that they're not just Vernon Adams and a bunch of scrubs. Obviously, things haven't gone particularly well for them without Adams this year when, when they have missed him, but this isn't the same team from the first half of the year. This is a legitimately good football team from top to bottom, or at least I think so, and, and we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, so yeah, six and a half now, I I just don't see how you can turn that down. I think there's a, a very reasonable chance Montreal can go into BC place and win outright, even with Schultz at the helm. That money line is, is sitting comfortably over plus 200 now. Plus 200 to fade a 3-10 and 10 Lions team with, with those three wins coming against Ottawa and Toronto? That's a play I'd rather go down with the ship on than sit it out and lament a missed chance later on. Okay, last order of business here. Our best bet for the week. This is another week with a few plays I like. Ah, uh, you know, I haven't gone this route before. Let's go with a value play here. Let's pull the trigger on the Alouettes to get that outright win on Saturday night. I doubted them early on in the year. I'm a believer now. I I think they get it done with with Vernon cheerleading from the sidelines. You wanna play it safe, six and a half is, is by all means a strong play. Let's take the lid off this thing a little bit. Alouettes plus 225, best bet of the week. And with that, we've reached the end of another edition of third down gamble. Thank you for bearing with my uh, nasally, stuffed-up-sounding voice for the last 40 minutes or whatever we're at now. Keep those questions and comments coming on Twitter, at KDrive88 is once again my Twitter handle. Check out FirstLinePicks.com for other gambling-related content, and hopefully we're all doing a little victory dance together on Saturday night when Montreal puts that big W on the board. Best of luck, everyone. We'll see you next week you okay.